they're very, very special guests to us. For, uh, for the history of our church, as I mentioned a few moments ago, in the, in the many years that this church has been in existence, we've sent out many, many missionaries. One of those missionaries that we sent out about 45 years ago, almost 45 years ago, were a, uh, a young couple named Ken and Marcy Dolliger. And they had, at that time, two young children. And uh, this church began supporting them. And so uh, over the, the next four decades, you sacrificially gave month after month so that God could use these people uh, in, in powerful ways. Of course, those two children that I just referenced, one of those was my daughter, excuse me, my, my daughter. She, uh, people often think that she is. Um, uh, was one of those was my wife, of course, Joni. And, uh, and uh, so you have had a part in our lives for many years as a church body. Well, the other uh, young child was John Dolliger, and John is with us this morning along with his wife, Jennifer. John and Jennifer have themselves been missionaries for about 17 years. A number of years ago, while they were um, associate pastors at a large church in St. Paul, the Lord directed them, put it on their hearts very strongly to go and respond to his call to the mission field. And they have served very faithfully for about 17 years in Costa Rica and other places. And John and Jennifer are going to share a little bit more about that later. But it's just a real privilege to have them here. John and Jennifer are great people. Some of you met them last night. They spoke in the banquet. Many of you have met them over previous years. But uh, we, we obviously claim them as our own, but thank you for your support in their lives as well. I first met Jennifer uh, uh, on their very first date. Their, their first date was in our living room when we were pastoring in Minnesota. Jennifer lived about 30 miles away. Her, her family lived about 30 miles away. And, and uh, this young guy who was church planting in Chicago came to our house for Thanksgiving. They got together in our living room, and, uh, and uh, God has... has uh, made them husband and wife now for uh, close to 23, 24 years, and so we're very grateful for them. So it's good to have John and Jennifer Dolliger and their family. They're going to introduce them later. Uh, but John and Jennifer, God bless you as you come. Where are you? There they are, right back there. Come, God bless you as you come. Would you welcome them as they come? John and Jennifer Dolliger, missionaries to Costa Rica. Thanks, John. We need a microphone. Here we go. El Señor les bendiga ricamente. And God bless you richly. It's great to be with you again. You've had us here each of the, each of the times when we've been visiting churches and itinerating, getting ready to go out the first time to Costa Rica and every time since. Thank you for being part of what God has done in Costa Rica. Going back into the 1950s, there were missionaries from this area, from North, South Dakota, Minnesota, that, that began to invest in Costa Rica. So I like to think that, that you all have, have a stake in what's happened in Costa Rica over the last 70 years. How does that sound? Because when you've given, you've prayed, and you've sent missionaries, uh, God does things on the other end. And you are connected to that. You are shareholders. You, it's like you have stock in Costa Rica and what God is doing. And so as you see pictures of what we do in Costa Rica, as we talk about these things and tell stories, I hope that you feel like you have a 
part in it. Um, there are people that we work with, young people, my parents invested in their parents when they were young people and married them and helped build the churches that they are pastoring. And before that, a generation before that, Dave and Ruth Kensinger in Costa Rica, missionaries from this area, they invested in some of the grandparents of those young people. And, and uh, so, I mean, this is a generational thing, and, and you have been a part of what we do. So thank you. I, I hope you feel that connection. I hope you get that. So I want to... I want to get into the, they're going to help me with some pictures here. I'm going to show you a little bit of our story in photos. So this is the family. Jennifer, of course. Uh, my wife, she'll be talking in just a few minutes. She's over there. Jonathan, our oldest, is a freshman in college at Wheaton College in Chicago. So when we go back to Costa Rica in July, we leave him here. And uh, we're not going to be able to, to interact with him like we have this year, which has been wonderful. He's been in college, but we've been able to see him a few times. He stays. So, uh He's studying international relations at Wheaton in Chicago, freshman. Joshua is here with us. He's 16. Julia is 14. And uh, this year while we're here, they're in public school in Bloomington, Minnesota, not too far from the Mall of America. And so uh, Kennedy High School and Valley View Middle School. When you, when you pray for missionaries, pray for our kids. When, uh, when we're here, there's challenges. There are new schools and new environments. When we go back to Costa Rica, they're definitely minority in where they are, and so they, they're never 100% like everybody else there either. So, uh, but the Lord gives them a, a very interesting cross-cultural perspective because they're always cross-cultural, no matter where they are. And Joni and I grew up being cross-cultural people. I was her bodyguard walking down the street of San Jose, Costa Rica, when we were teenagers. Had to fight off the guys with a big stick. Um, when we first got to Costa Rica... I don't know if you kind of had this picture in your mind, but we, we now have Assembly of God organizations in 255 countries and territories of this world. The United Nations, I think the number is 197. So we have more Assembly of God organizations, not just missionaries, but organized national churches in all those places. And every place we go, the the national church is there and, and sometimes very small and just beginning. And sometimes they're well organized, but there's huge pockets of the population that they're not reaching. And so in Latin America, where, where we are, there's 20 Spanish-speaking countries. We all kind of work together with projects. And we've determined that there are several huge unreached people groups. Um, there are native tribes, 750 indigenous tribes that still have no access to the gospel. 72 million college students, one of the more unreached people groups in Latin America. There are, there are millions of children on the street in at-risk communities. Uh, many young people, teenagers in gangs and related to, to, um, to gang activity, illegal activity, girls in prostitution. We have many missionaries all over Latin America helping to rescue the at-risk children and teens. And one of the things that, that we came to Costa Rica ready to do was to teach in the Bible college. I had done some academic preparation. We really wanted to teach and to, to train the next generation. But when we sat down with the national leadership of the Costa Rican Assemblies of God Church, 450 churches in Costa Rica, they said, we have a huge black hole of people that we're not connecting with, and that's actually the next generation inside the church. We're just losing a huge chunk of our next generation. And especially, we feel an urgency with pastor's kids. So Costa Rican children 
of national pastors. And so we said, we'll go for it. We'll do it. And so we started getting to know some of them. We opened up our home, and we had like 80-some kids at our first Christmas party at the house that first year. And, and it just kind of grew. We developed a leadership base, and we started doing annual camps, retreats for pastors' kids. And so first, the first picture I want to show you, this is our, our camp, our PK retreat in 2003. Our theme was Radical Integrity, Integridad Radical, I-R, so this is the, the letters. There were about 230 young people at this particular retreat. In the next picture, I want to introduce one of them to you because ultimately it's about one person at a time, right? The guy with the red balloon between his teeth is Jonathan, Jonathan Lopez. Happy kid, lots of fun. I mean, he did taekwondo and liked motorcycles, and he always wore real cool, fancy clothes and with lots of color. You know, he liked shiny things. How many of you know someone that likes shiny things, right? My sister may be a person that likes shiny things. I don't know. Um, but Jonathan was a real happy guy. But the problem was that his church was in, number one, a gangs and drugs neighborhood. And number two, very, very small and conservative. So every Sunday, he'd show up with something, you know, different on and someone will say, well, there goes the tithes, his shoes that he had saved up his own money for. Aww. And someone would offer an opinion. And they were always pecking at him. And uh, he had big ideas and big dreams and wanted to do, you know, big things. And, and the people were always putting the brakes on him. And so he felt held back. And so as soon as he was ready for college, he stayed living at home, but he took off. He did not come back to church for four years. Uh, in that time, he made some decisions. He He'd come home from the parties smelling like party. And uh, his, he would hear his dad come in and pray over him in his bed at night. Say, Father, you did not create my son to waste his life. Uh, you have a call on his life. You've put your hand upon him. Lord, bring him back. And because he was already part of our ministry, we'd keep in touch and we'd keep calling him and we'd keep connected with Jonathan. One day we saw him on TV at a big discotheque at one of the national parties. We're like, oh, no. And, and we kept connected with Jonathan and we kept praying for him. Next picture. Finally, when he came back to the Lord, it was really a group of guys that had just surrounded him. Uh, these, these are some of our favorite people in Costa Rica, this, this group of guys. One of them is a lawyer and, and just a great kid. Another one teaches psychology now at the University of Costa Rica. He was in college at this point. And uh, they surrounded Jonathan and kept pulling him in. When he finally came back, he was all in. Shortly after he returned to his church, the youth pastor quit. And so there was no one else to take his spot. He, he raised his hand and said, uh, Dad, you mind if I help with the youth? They gave him the youth, and it started growing. And pretty soon he met a really great young lady named Farina, five feet tall, wears six-inch heels every day. So she bounces up and down on these heels as she's leading worship and, and a, just a, an exuberant gal. He married her. So the next picture, we got to be part of their wedding. Um, these are the moments that we love. We love pastoring and mentoring and being part of the important moments of life, pouring into these young people. This is, this is what the kingdom of God and the family of the Lord is about, right? We, we celebrate together. We walk together through life. The next picture... We found that pretty soon Jonathan and Farina were the favorite ministry team for some of the events we were doing. So we'd say, who should we invite to preach at the, at the pastor's kids' young adults retreat that we do every year? They said, let's get Jonathan and Farina. So they came and they were ministering at the, the retreat a few years ago. And, and they pulled me aside and they said, Uncle John, we don't know what we're doing in ministry. We're making this up as we go. 
what's the next step really to prepare to do this right? And I said, that's called Bible college. We've been doing that for 70 years. Why don't you come? And so I said, I have a, I have a hermeneutics class starting in two weeks, Tuesday nights. Why don't you come to my classes? How to interpret the Bible. So next picture, they, they jumped in with the hermeneutics class. So this was our crew. Jonathan and Farina and her brother and his wife came. Uh, people from, from all over the country, all kinds of different ministries were preparing this Tuesday night class. They learned all about how to listen for who the author is of a biblical text and who were the people that were receiving it. What was the context and what was the culture? What was going on? What were they trying to communicate? They loved it. They signed up for my next class, which was an intro to youth ministry class. And so in the youth ministry class, we gave them an assignment. We said, go out on the street of your community and find some people to interview to figure out what's going on out there. Look for police. Look for people in the schools. Uh, look for neighbors, community organizers. Figure out what they sense are the needs in that community. And they made a connection with some of the gang members. And, and one of the guys that lived right across the street from them became friends with them. And they, they invited him to church and he came. And pretty soon he was bringing some of his friends. And they came to me one night after the Tuesday night class, and they said, we need to do an outreach night. Would you be willing to come and preach for us for an evangelistic night? And we really want to focus on some of these gang guys and having them come and bring some of their friends. And so we said, let's do it. And so we came up with the theme, uh, La Gracia Quita Mancha. That means God's grace, the stain remover. It sounds cooler in Spanish, Quita Mancha. So... So uh, they, they got some, some white T-shirts and some dirty T-shirts, and they decorated the whole front of the sanctuary. They had a special band. They had lights and smoke machines and, and everything. It was a great night. The next picture, this is the actual night of the Kitamancha outreach night. There were 30 of the gang members there. Many of them had begun to come. We were beginning to hear about the Lord. We were starting to get connected. And we got to share and minister. And at the end of the service, we had been talking about God's grace that not only forgives you, but it makes you turn around and forgive others that have offended you. We were, we, were, we were in Matthew chapter 18 where Jesus, when he's trying to explain to his disciples about forgiving people that are just awkward and inconvenient. And Peter had raised his hand and said, well, how many times should I forgive those people? I mean, maybe you have one in your life, right? There's people that are inconvenient and they don't go away. And they, and they keep on doing things to hurt and offend others. And Peter was being generous and says, how many times do I let him go? Seven times? He's, he's feeling big hearted, right? Jesus says, uh, no, not seven, up to 70 times seven. He says, let me tell you a story, Peter. One day there was a king that was going through his accounting books with his treasurer and they found that one of the employees owed him 10,000 talents. Now, Jesus picked a really, really, really big number. Every talent, there were 10,000 talents. Every talent was a bag of 6,000 coins. Every coin was a day's wage. So let's assume we're talking about 10 bucks an hour. Okay, for here, uh, an eight-hour day, so every coin would be 80 bucks. If you had the bag one talent of 6,000 of those, that's about 20 years' salary. We're talking about thousands of dollars. The guy owed him 10,000 of those. So we, doing the math, 
with, uh, with 80 bucks a day, that would be $4.8 billion. The new U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis for the Vikings cost $1.1 billion. We're talking about four and a half U.S. Bank stadiums that this one guy owed the king in the story that Jesus is making up. Jesus picked a very large number. And the guy is like, uh, be patient with me and I'll pay it all back. There's no way on God's earth. 200,000 years of salary. And the king was moved with compassion and forgave him. And then the guy turned around and on his way out of the palace, bumps into a buddy that owes him 100 denarius. Each denarius, one of those coins, those $80 coins. So his buddy owed him 8,000 bucks. Now, on a normal day, 8,000 bucks is 8,000 bucks. I mean, if someone owes you 8,000 bucks, you send them a bill, right? I mean, you, you, you try to collect this back again. But after having been forgiven, $4.8 billion. And he grabs the guy by the throat, throttles him, and says, pay back everything you owe me. And he throws himself on the ground and says the same words that the guy had just said to the king. Be patient, and I'll, I'll pay it all back. And the guy says, no way, you're going to jail. Throws him in debtor's prison until he can pay it all back. Word gets back to the king. And the king says, what in the world did you just do? You ungrateful, miserable servant. Because you could not forgive your friend that owed you something comparatively so small. You will be thrown in jail, you and your whole family, sold as slaves until you can pay it all back. How long is that going to be? Never. They just went from ruling class to slave class in one shot. And then Jesus, at the end of the story, turns around, looks back at Peter and the other disciples and says, by the way, this is how your heavenly Father sees it. When you, in parentheses, haven't been forgiven so much, can't turn around and forgive the people by you. And, uh, and I didn't know what this was going to mean to the gangbangers that night. But this is what the Lord had put on our heart, and we laid it out there. And when we, when we had an altar call at the end, people came forward. It was a cool moment. And one of the guys was down on the front, and I went down and prayed with him. I said, tell me, tell me how I can pray for you. He says, well, this Christian thing is new to me, so pray for me that God will help me to be a man of God. He says, but there's something really big. He says, uh, I want to pray for the family of the guy I killed. He understood that he had planted something in his own life. He had planted something in another family that was going to haunt him forever. He says, is it possible for God to forgive me for what I did to that family and to somehow ask them to forgive me too? And, and that was the moment when I thought, this is why I do what I do in the Bible college. Uh, a young person that was off, fluttering around, lost, that starts to serve the Lord and hears, understands the gospel, brings it to their community, brings it to the street, and all of a sudden, all these, all these things that have been planted, the violence, uh, the murder, the drug stuff, it stops. And the gangbangers become people that are contributing instead of people that are living the life of violence. 
and the things change and the country changes one neighborhood at a time and one place at a time because God calls his people into those places and we pour the best stuff that the kingdom of God has to offer into them. We train them and the whole network of, of the church lifts these people up and they're planting new churches all over and the kingdom of God is established and a country changes because the Lord sends us to do his work. In the next picture, go back here real quick. We've got people in this, just in this picture, in this one class. A young lady in red pants in the very middle. She's a, a school, a university counselor that is paid every day to work with young girls in, in a university that have been abused and molested and, and dealing with depression, loneliness, and all the stuff of life. And the Lord has planted her there and trained her. And there she is. And so she's coming to prepare better for ministry, to know how to, how to serve and how to invest in those young people. In the back, there's a guy named Marco. That one, one Tuesday night, we were in class, and I said, are there any testimonies? He, he says, ooh, ooh. He says, I got saved in jail. And this week, I got to go back to the jail where I got saved, and I got to preach. And there were a bunch of guys that responded to Jesus in the jail, just like I did when I was back in jail. We're going to start a jail ministry. And so now on Facebook, he's Evangelist Marco Marachal. And he likes to put up pictures of the places where he gets to preach and bring the Lord and his grace. A guy that was in jail. And that is now serving the Lord and, and, and uh, planting for God's kingdom. People working with youth, with kids' ministries. Diana is the kind of a darker-haired girl off to one side. She and her husband, Ronald, hike out into the jungle and work with uh, uh, one of the indigenous tribes in Costa Rica. We have people planting churches, preparing to go as missionaries. This is what it looks like when we say we teach in the Bible college. It's people like this that sit with us 13 weeks in a row on a Tuesday night. And we pour into them and pray with them and have lunch with them and believe with them. And God raises up the next generation. That's what it looks like. Uh, in the next picture, uh, the Lord, this, this last four-year term, opened up a very different set of doors for us than we've had before. And, and, and it wasn't really my project. It was more Jennifer's. So I want her to come and share with you what this looked like working with the Cabecar people on the Jamecari Yoxoro Reservation out in the jungle in Costa Rica. Jennifer, why don't you come out? Good morning. What a treat to be with all of you friends who have supported us and prayed for us. We go out to Costa Rica and work in Latin America knowing that we're not alone. We know that we have prayer partners, people that have taken our prayer card and put their na our names on a list somewhere in their Bible, and they pray for us. This last term, we uh, got to plant a church in an indigenous tribe, the Quebecer people. It's a small indigenous group in Costa Rica that has, in order to preserve their culture, fled into the most remotest areas of the, the rainforest and in the mountains to uh, live to practice and to have their families. And the government gives them a piece of land, but they're really forgotten. They uh, live destitute, subsistence farming. They eat bananas sometimes, months at a time when they don't have other food. And they eat all the monkeys and the sloths and the, the snakes that they can in the, in the jungle. So this, uh, they live in these amazing grass huts that are like natural air conditioning. 
because uh, the heat all rises to the top of the hut. So it's a really cool thing. We actually built a, a little hut for our children's church building alongside, and they taught us how to weave and make a, a grass hut. It was just like a phenomenal experience. Like, wow. Um, so the next picture, uh, you can see that this is my friend Geraldine. She's a Costa Rican home missions pastor. Uh, about 15 years ago, we built a church in her uh, town, and Geraldine became a really good friend of ours, and she's been preparing for ministry. She's 63 years old, and after her kids are all big and she has her grandkids, she knew that God still had a mission for her. And she was helping her sons build a rafting camp out on the Pacuare River, and where they, they take and they do tour groups of whitewater rafting. And they said, uh, Mom, whatever you do, no preaching to the Indians, please. They'll kick us off the land. So she was working with her sons, planting, uh, building this rafting camp, and she'd meet the chief in the, in the jungle. And the chief was really hostile to her. And she just kept praying for, she knew that in the mountains there was, there was an Indian tribe. She just prayed for them. And one day she met the chief on, the, on, on a trail, and she said to the chief, Sylvia, has anyone, anyone ever told you that God loves you? And the chief said, no. She said, well, can I come to your village and tell you about Jesus? And the chief said, yes, I'll come down tomorrow and bring you up to my village. And she did. And Geraldine hiked the hour and a half up vertical mountains, like 1,200 feet the jungle mountain, and she got to go into her hut and share the gospel with her. And Chief Sylvia accepted Jesus. And she said, will you come back and tell my family? And Geraldine has been going in now for five years. And when I heard her going, sometimes she was hiking in alone all by herself. And her husband was a brand new believer. He had been an alcoholic all his life, but he decided that he would walk with his wife into the jungle. And he's come to the Lord through, she's won her, her husband to the Lord and this uh, tribe of Quebecer Indians. Um, so here she's discipling some of the young men with global university courses. So the next picture, here's a Christmas party um, with all the kids that we, we do every year. We, we invite three different villages to come and join us for a Christmas party, and we talk about, um, we share the, the Christmas story, and they laugh, and that Mary was a young bride because all of them are very young brides. And it's just really cool how the message of Jesus transcends every culture and every people. And it means something to them. And they know that there's hope in Jesus. The next picture here is um, Geraldine and I hiking. And I'm going to tell you a little story. This um, last June, I wanted to go and say goodbye before we came back to the U.S. And uh, it's a rigorous hike into the mountains, about nine-hour total trip in and back. And Geraldine and I and her husband were going in, and we put on our uh, rain boots, and we have our hiking pants on and strap on our backpacks, and it's about 50 uh, pounds, 50 or 60 pounds. I don't know how much it weighs. It's really heavy. And we're hiking. We always pray that God will protect us as we're hiking in the in the jungle. There's lots of variables, like poisonous snakes and uh, dangerous insects and streams and all this stuff. And so we just prayed that God would be with us. And I always 
just have this, you know, Lord, activate those intercessors that pray for us. And maybe, maybe it was one of you. I don't know. Someday I'm going to find out. Someone's gonna, I was praying that. But we hiked into the jungle, and, and we, it was raining a lot. Rain's about 300 inches of rain a year, so it, the ground is just sloshy. And a tree had fallen over our path. And um, Geraldine was ahead of us, and Enrique, her husband, had his stick, and he was trying to clean up some branches, and she, we had to climb over the tree. And, and we realized it's a thorn tree covered, like, with tacks that are poking out of this tree. It's so sharp. And she says, Jennifer, be careful. It's a thorn tree. And then we look, and there's bullet ants crawling all around the tree. And bullet ants are, like, an inch-long and that if it bites you, it feels like you just got shot with a, a, a revolver. It's so painful. So she's climbing over this, and, and Geraldine's 63. She's so tough. And I'm right behind her like, I got this. Well, I trip, and I go falling down into a bunch of the branches, and my face is, is plastered to the ground, and my backpack shoves me even further down in the branches, and I'm... I'm you know, can't breathe, and I'm thinking, I am so stuck, I'm going to be attacked by bullet ants. My feet are up in the air, so I can't move, and, and Geraldine is out praying for me, and I just said, I gotta, I gotta swing myself around to get out of here, so I'm like a turtle on its shell, and I swing my arm around, and all of a sudden, it's just like I popped out of that tree and was on the ground, and I was just filled with the joy of the Lord. I didn't, it was like the coolest thing. Like, thank you, God. You just, I, I was like, yes, that is so cool. Bring on the snakes. I can do this now. And it was just, a, I just was praising and singing and, and giving thanks to the Lord. I just felt like a cloud of witness, witnesses around us. And, and later on on that trip, actually, we did, I don't, we <laughs> came we, we almost stepped on a Fertilance Viper. And um, the Lord has really given Geraldine a lot of discernment and opened her eyes to identify the snakes that look just like the leaves around it. And um, it was a Fertilance Viper. And uh, here, he's dead. Yeah. But I was, it was pretty cool. But when we got to the village, we realized that there was a lot of darkness and there had been a spiritual battle. The, the witch doctor was threatening that there was going to be bad things happening to the chief because she has brought the gospel into her village. And we were able to pray with her and speak life and, and ask the Holy Spirit to empower her. And she has grown spiritually, Chief Sylvia, in these last six months since that happened. Um, the, the witch doctor is, has a lot of control over a, a people group, and he charges large sums of money when they consult him. So he's very expensive, and um, she has come to the realization that she will not have anything to do with that witch doctor anymore. He does not have a right to be in her village. Praise the Lord. So um, pray for the Quebecer people. There might be one more picture. I don't. Here is a group of kids from Emmanuel Christian Center um, bringing chairs up the mountain for our church building. And the next one, uh, here John is baptizing one of the first um, young men that has gone through a discipleship course, and he's being baptized is a huge step for him.
being some of the one of the first ones in his village to get baptized. But beautiful experience. The next picture is here we are worshiping the Lord in our Hamakati house of prayer. And it seems so impossible that we could fill all those chairs and they're full. And there's three different villages that, that have come to Christ. And they we're filling these chairs and we're gonna need more, but we're we're praying that God raises up out of the Quebecer people someone to pastor the church, that it will be someone out of so there's a lot of young men and young women that are studying and preparing and just pray for us that God will raise up the right person to be a pastor to his people or her people. The next picture is um, the church. Here we are finished on a beautiful um, mountain uh, overlook over the river. And I think, is there one more? And here's Chief Celia, who has a vision for her next generation, for her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren to know the gospel and to walk in faith and be God's people in the mountains. So pray for the Quebecer people, pray for Sylvia, and pray for us. Thank you. As, as the gospel began to spread in these villages, um, there was some resistance from the people that would say, well, leave the, leave the indigenous people alone. They're just fine like they are. They're the noble people, and they have their beliefs, but don't mess with them. That's just imposing your beliefs. That is not the case. There's some really dark stuff. Uh, when they have their chicha parties, they have this corn stuff that they chew up and spit into a big vat and let it ferment into alcohol. When they have their big parties where they drink this stuff, it's just day after day after day. And the abuse that happens of the children during those days, the, the horrible things that they do to each other during these parties, marks them to the point where the different villages hated each other so much they didn't talk to each other when we first met them. And the Lord began to do some miracles to confirm his presence. One of the little girls during one of these chicha parties at night went into one of the huts and pulled down a pot of boiling hot water on herself, burned her all the way down to her feet. And they had to hike her out hours to get to the hospital. And she was in ICU in the hospital for two weeks. And they called us to pray. First time they had taken the initiative to call Geraldine and to call us to say, we need God to heal this girl or she is not going to make it. And when she came out after two weeks, she didn't have a single scar on her body. The Lord had completely healed her. That was the first of the signs that turned their eyes to the Lord, saying, this isn't just some lady from San Jose coming in to preach her religion to us. This is the power of God that's at work in our village. And uh, this is, I think our culture feeds us some of these lies that, well, these people, just let them be. We need to preserve their cultures. There's so many cool things about this culture that we want to preserve. They can tell you when it's going to rain because they can see the birds coming this way off of that ridge over there 15 minutes out. I mean, they can, there's so many great things. But, but the power of God is at work. And another man was kicked in the ribs by a horse, collapsed his lung, and, and the Lord healed him when he called on prayer. So these are wonderful things. These are wonderful things. So... As we share these stories and as we, as we share testimonies of what God is doing in Costa Rica, in, the, in, the, in, in a neighborhood of gangs and drugs, with Jonathan Lopez, a faithful youth pastor that's bringing God's grace, with Geraldine that's, that's out in the jungle, how do you respond? We, 
We took a whole year off of our ministry in Costa Rica to come back and to, to share stories of what God is doing and to raise our funds to go back in the next projects. One of our big projects coming up in the next four-year term is we're building a new Bible school location up on the Nicaragua border, not far from where your team is going to be. Now, this is a place where right now there's 80 students crammed into a couple little Sunday school classrooms at a church. And they've already bought a property. They've already got it set aside. But we need to build uh, the, the Bible school facility. And so we're raising funds for that, inviting people to be part of that project. Uh, if, if you're thinking a year out to the next uh, project that you'd be involved in, well, it'd be amazing to have you guys come and be part of that as well. But uh, I can think of three ways I would want you to respond, if you would. One of them is praying. Uh, we have our prayer cards, and uh, some of you already got them in Sunday school. Uh, some of you can stop by the table and grab one. Would you pray for us? Would you commit to pray for us? Um, the, so many times we're in, in situations that we have no control over, and all of a sudden we're like, okay, we need the Lord to step in right now. This is just critical. So pray for our health. Pray for our protection. Pray for God's presence with us. Pray for God's discernment. Pray for the Lord's provision. Uh, that the Lord would just keep surrounding us with his presence and his peace. Uh, secondly, uh, would you keep on supporting us? And, and I know you will as a church, but we don't, I don't have any trouble looking at you this morning and asking you to invest in Costa Rica because that's what we came back for. This is what God has called us to do. Would you be willing to invest in the next generation in Costa Rica? This morning we have an offering coming up. I know that some of you, within the means that the Lord has given you, could do $100 this morning or no, and, or more, and maybe some a little bit less. Would you, would you be willing to invest significantly in Costa Rica this morning? And then the third thing is that as you're involved, as you keep connected with us, maybe as you send some people down and as you keep on believing with us, just believe that God is with you as well. And I want to I wanna wrap up with something here. Chief Sylvia, when we did the dedication for the building, she gave me this little bag. She wanted to give it to me as a special gift. This was her very own seed bag that she would carry the seed for for her own garden. She made it by hand. Every, every little filament is from a nylon rice bag. And she pulled them out one by one, twisted them into the twine, and then she wove the twine together for this little bag. And she would carry her seed in it for her garden. Now, the thing is that in the jungle, you don't put chicken wire fences around your garden to keep the critters out. And, and there was a certain amount of what she was going to plant in her garden, her beans and her corn and the other things that she would plant, her, her root vegetables, a certain number of them would be eaten by animals because that's just the reality. But she gave me this bag and she says, she says I want to give this to you because missionaries plant seed too. And the truth is that when we start projects and when we invest in people, there's no guarantee that they're going to be world changers. But we keep planting every single day, just like you do. And I want to give each of you a coffee bean out of Chief Sylvia's seed bag. Can I do that? I'm going to need some helpers, and I would love it if I could get some teenagers, people under the age of 21, to help me. I need some helpers, some kids, teenagers. Just, it's just to give one little coffee bean to every person. It's not a big deal, okay? Just need some helpers here. You do that, all right? So here, once you, once you hit the, um, that left side over there. Okay, all right, perfect. Awesome. Yeah. Everybody, yeah, if you want to hit that side. 
You good? Cool. Awesome. Nice. I got a lot of helpers. This is great. Okay. May I need somebody up in the balcony? All right. Good. Now, unfortunately, these being roasted coffee beans, they, uh, they won't grow. I do have some green ones, unroasted, back at the back table. If you really would like to try to plant a coffee bean, go for it. You want to help me too? Okay. All right. Good. I have more helpers. All right. Awesome. There you go. And if there are two that land in your hand, just keep them both. If you want to plant one, we have some green ones back at our table after the service. You can swing by. Uh, and, and they are beautiful little plants with bright, shiny leaves on them. Very nice. But, uh, but we're, doing, we're doing roasted ones because they smell better. The, the, the unroasted seeds, they smell like hay or something. It's not real pretty. But go ahead and have a smell at it. And uh, you can keep this and think of us. Grab a prayer card and tape it to the prayer card. How's that sound? You have, you'll have a prayer card and a coffee bean from Costa Rica. How's that sound? Now, the, Jesus says that, or the Apostle Paul says to, to those who are outside of the kingdom, the smell of Jesus in us is the smell of life. Every day we plant seed. Chief Sylvia sticks a bunch of seed in the ground, and she doesn't know what percentage of those are going to work. But she keeps planting because she knows that if she does not plant, she'll get nothing. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. That was Wayne Gretzky, not Chief Sylvia, right? But, but when we plant every day, the kingdom of God as it is in your life right now, would you stand with me? I'd like to pray with you before Pastor Gary comes back, and he's going to help us with uh, offering and some other things. But before we do that, would you take this? And we're going to lift these up to the Lord. This is the stuff of your life, the, the, your life as it is right now. Not as you wish it were, but this is the reality. Uh, your work, your friends, your relationships, your family, your dreams or lack of dreams. The dreams that maybe have died over the over time, uh, we give it all to the Lord, and uh, and you go out and you plant every day, just like we go out and plant every day, and the Lord is with us. Would you raise it up to Him, Father? We thank you this morning. When you open us open up a window in our hearts and minds to what you're doing in the world, you're also opening up a window for our community and our life. And we thank you for each one of these brothers and sisters, young people, children that are here in Aberdeen and the surrounding communities. You know exactly where they are. You know what kind of machine they drive when they wake up and they work. You know what kind of of people are surrounding them, what their tools are of their trade. You know what the relationships are in their life right now that aren't easy relationships. You know the the young people, the next generation that, that we're called to invest in. We give it all to you, and we pray that we would be the fragrance of life to the world around us, that we would plant every day faithfully your kingdom around us and keep on believing that you are at work. We thank you, Father. We give ourselves to you one more time in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Gary, come. You may be seated if you would just stay here in the sanctuary for just a few moments. Um, and uh, uh, John, Jennifer, thank you so much. Uh, we're going to have them back here in just a few moments. We want to pray specifically for them. As I shared earlier, we have a part in this. John started out this morning by talking about thanking, thanking us for investing in, 
in Costa Rica. And I want to thank you for investing in Costa Rica. And we do that through, through giving and, for, and in praying. Uh, as John already shared, would you, would you take some moments at the close of the service in the foyer, there, grab one of these prayer cards. If you don't have one already, maybe you have an older one, you want to update it. But uh, these are here for you, so we want you to take them. Ushers, if you would go ahead and come. As they're coming, I also want to say that we, we also make investment in giving. This morning, as, as is our practice, and it's a good practice,